Good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. My name is Greg Paris. If you've uh, joined us online, we're thrilled that you've uh, joined today, and we're glad to have you. Welcome. So glad to see all of you. Hope you're doing well. Last week, I preached a sermon that wasn't for the faint of heart. Let me summarize, in case you missed it, because I enjoy inflicting trouble. We ask the question, you can either live a safe life, a comfortable life, a convenient life, a peaceful life, or you can live a glorious life, but you can't live both. And we discovered in the kingdom of God that if you want to live a glorious life, it requires sacrifice and suffering to care for the needs of others in Jesus' name. This entire series now, over the next month or so, is about raising up our expectations as we look to the fall, in three weeks from today, on September the 11th, we will pick up the story once again with the New Testament. And I hope that you have enjoyed that important process and it's changing your life. If you learn the narrative of the Bible, the story of the Bible. So it's a very exciting time for us here. And I want to continue to encourage, inspire, perhaps challenge us as we think about starting the New Testament in a few, few weeks, about how we can be involved in actively reaching people with this wonderful hope of Jesus Christ. Look on the screen with me at Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a lot of authority, by the way. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is Matthew's rendition of the Great Commission. Luke's gospel, rather than say, go and make disciples, simply says, go and preach the gospel. So we know the mandate. We know the commission. Go and preach the gospel and make disciples. Last week I rehearsed with you our mission statement here at Union Chapel. Could I rehearse that with you just for another moment? Our mission, uh, that is why we exist as a church, is three parts. We want people to know Jesus Christ, to grow in their relationship with Jesus, and to go making Jesus known to others. There are three practices or habits that we want to challenge everyone to engage around these three mission statements. In order to know Jesus, we want to encourage you to attend our worship services either on campus or online. It's the best way we have to introduce people to Jesus. The second thing we ask people to do as a practice is to get connected in some kind of fellowship circle, a small group, face-to-face. There are many people who are new to our church. You say, I've only been here for weeks or a couple of months. And let me just say something to you. I've been in this business for over 40 years. If you don't find a meaningful connection with other people in the life of the church so that you build a relationship with them, like in a small group, you will not be here six months or a year from now. Yes, we will. We love this church. We think it's great. We are so thankful God sent us here. It makes us happy. It's good for our family. We, we are here. If you don't make meaningful connections then you won't stay. That's the, nature, that's the nature of things. And so I challenge you. We have a guy named Jeff Hughes. That's all he does. That's his full-time job, to connect people with the life of the church and meaningful relationships. So please get involved. 
The third part is to go, making Jesus known to others. And this is simply the practice there of volunteering to serve in the ministries within our church and the missions outside of our church. So volunteer to serve. These three practices, show up at church, get in a small group, volunteer to serve. No, grow, and go. You got it? Now, let me just tell you about our vision. Our vision is what we are going to do together. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. These are the activities we're going to engage. It's our vision. We see out there in the future, and this is what we will be doing in the future. Now, we use the word worship as an acrostic for this vision, and I give you permission not to remember. But I want you to hear it from me so that you've heard it at least once a year. So using the word worship as an acrostic, we say we want to win lost people, people who are far from God. We want to win them to Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? We're going to do that. The second thing is outreach to each unique generation. That's why we bend over backwards trying to reach people of all the age groups, especially reaching back to the younger. This is what we do together. R stands for relevant worship. People ask all the time, why do we have the style of worship we have at Union Chapel? It's very simple. The answer is because we believe that we can reach the largest number of people with this style of worship. There are, there are liturgical churches in the community, which is great. Traditional churches where lots of liturgy, lots of words, lots of hymns. And that's great because it takes different kinds of people to reach different kinds of people. We have on the other spectrum in Muncie, Delaware County, we have folks who have a, a real freestyle kind of worship. I mean, it's, you know, it's really animated and, and, and lots of passion. And that's great, and that, and that takes a swath, you know, a, a piece of, of the pie. There are also uh, churches that do like cowboy or southern gospel kind of style in the community, and that works, and that's, and that's another market that you, can, that you can appeal to because of that style. At Union Chapel, we use more of a pop, pop music, current culture kind of music style, and that's it. People say, do you enjoy that music we play? And I say, no. <laughs> now, my wife, Beth, loves the music we play here. She loves it. She goes crazy over it. She's just so happy about it. How many of you enjoyed the uh, uh, It Is Well With My Soul this morning? How many did, did you enjoy that? I mean, was that good? You liked that, didn't you? So did I. I liked that a lot. <laughs> Once in a while, we sneak one in there just for all of us who like it. That's good. So relevant worship, then strategic missions. Strategic for me is based on a statement from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 15. I've always had an ambition to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. So strategic for me is about fulfilling the Great Commission and going to parts of the world that have yet to had a meaningful witness for Jesus Christ. And, and there are lots of things you can do in mission that are good and godly and honorable and pleasing to God, and it's all good, but not necessarily strategic in that, in that regard. And so we try to be strategic as possible. The H stands for home groups, and we call them life groups or small groups. Why didn't we call them life groups or small groups in this case? Because it didn't start with the letter H. It's an acrostic. You've got to fit the H in, so we call it home group. Sure, that's the way that works. Then impacting the church is simply giving whatever God has given us to other churches to strengthen churches. We like the idea of developing leaders and strengthening churches, and we do that all over the country. 
and we want to impact the church. And then practical ministry is just that. This is a cup of cold water. This is feeding the poor. This is building recovery homes for men, which we're currently doing, and all of those sorts of things in a practical way. That's our vision. That's what we're going to do together. Now, let's go back to this first point, which is win the lost. And I want to emphasize that today. And simply to challenge us to think about being more intentional about sharing the good news of the hope of the gospel with others. I have three simple points. It's on your outline, on your app, if you want to follow along. The first is this, that the gospel is to be shared. Now, remember, we've engaged the story, this chronological depiction of the biblical narrative, the story of God. We've learned some things. We learned that God had a vision for the world. And his vision for the world was to be an intimate fellowship with you and me. We're the apple of his eye. We're the, we're, the, we're the centerpiece of the created order. And so God designed human beings to be an intimate fellowship with us. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, rejected God's vision. Sin entered the world and it corrupted everything. So God has been on a mission to restore his original vision. And he's going to do that. He set out to have intimate fellowship with us forever, and that is what he's going to accomplish. Originally, it was the Garden of Eden, and because Adam and Eve rejected the vision, he established a people called the Jews to be a model of his intentions, and they kept failing over and over again. We've seen this through the Old Testament, our study of that, and God sent prophets and deliverers and judges and others to to correct the people, and finally, and we will introduce this in a few weeks with the New Testament, God sent his one and only son into the world to once and for all deal with the penalty of sin and the thing that separates from intimacy with God. And one day we are all going to be, by faith, we are all going to be with God in intimate fellowship forever. It's a place called heaven, and we want to go there because of God's wonderful love toward us. So this is the gospel that is to be shared now, let me, let me uh, just ask this question of you. I want you to hear the question. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? I'm curious, how many of you have had that question asked of you? Would you like to receive Jesus now? I have. Many of us have. How many of you have asked that question of another person? few of you have? Uh Uh-huh. It's a very important question. But just asking the question out loud and asking for participation in asking the question makes us just a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of offending someone. We're afraid of turning somebody off. We're afraid of driving people away. We're afraid of being misinterpreted. We're also afraid of rejection and failure. Gosh, I hate it when people say no to me, and it feels bad, so I don't want to risk it. Sometimes we're afraid that they'll say yes. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And a person says yes, then you go, oh, no. Now now what do I do? Yeah. It's almost the, the same feeling, I think, in the mind of some folks of going to buy a car. You know, you go to a car lot at some point, and you hear some salesman say, what do I need to do to get you in this car today? And right away, you know you're being 
You're being punked. And then you finally make an offer, and then it's, well, I, I need to take this and show it, ask my manager. Hey, how about just send the manager out? Let me talk to them. If you don't have the authority to sell the car, I need to talk to the person who has the authority to sell the car. And it's frustrating. And then there are added fees and adjusted numbers and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we feel like the car salesman. There's some hidden agenda. You know, this is like bait and switch. And you don't want to have that feeling. It's not good. But let me just correct that. That's not a good analogy. That's not what's happening. You are an ambassador for Christ, and you're asking a person if they want to change their eternal address. This is a big deal. This stuff really matters. This is really important. It's the most important thing that you could ever engage in. So you have to overcome the awkwardness of it and just ask the question. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? D.L. Moody, perhaps is a name that you recognize from history. He was a preacher of another generation. We still have the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, uh, Moody Radio. Many of us listen to that from time to time. And this is a very famous story from D.L. Moody's life and ministry many years ago. He was preaching a sermon uh, in, encouraging people to think about taking a step to receive Christ as their Savior in this sermon. And rather than asking people to receive Christ that Sunday morning, he sent them home by saying, I want you to think about this, and next week we'll call for decisions. Well, that next week, that f those following days, hundreds of people who had been in his church service that day died in the Chicago fire. Isn't that dramatic? That is really dramatic. And it's said that he never missed another opportunity after that. So share the gospel. And then here's the second point. Not only tell someone, but close the deal. Be prepared to lead a prayer of salvation. You are all sitting close to one of these little prayer cards that, were, that was introduced a, few, a couple of weeks ago by Pastor Glenn. Five, pray for five people, five minutes a day for five weeks. Now we're down to three weeks to pray for people. We ask you to list people's names. On the back of this card, if you turn it over and look at the back right at the top, Here's a prayer that we've written that is a simple prayer of salvation. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I know I have sinned. I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. Amen. There it is. Years ago, we had a special campaign here around... Uh, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Some of you will remember this. We had a big campaign, went on for weeks, and we instituted a lot of small groups around the study of the purpose driven life, and it was very effective, very, very helpful. And so we challenged everyone to invite their friends and associations to come to their, to their home or their offices for a small group discussion of the materials of the purpose driven. So Beth and I did that as well in our home, and we invited some friends who were outside of the church and, and not involved in the faith, and they graciously agreed to come. And one night, we were, we were at a ball game. One of our sons was playing basketball at Westdell in the gym there, and we noticed down at the scorer's bench, one of the, one of the guys that was working the, the uh, scoring table, and it was Tim Cleland. Now, Tim Cleland is a name that you may know in the community. 
He is a journalism teacher at Delta High School and also the boys and girls tennis coach. Both of our boys played for Tim at, on the tennis team at Delta. Tim is not your average run-of-the-mill tennis coach. At this point in Tim's career, he has become the all-time winningest coach in Indiana high school history in boys and girls tennis. Um, he's got a, a, a remarkable resume, very accomplished. You should know that uh, we got to know Tim because our boys played for him at Delta and became good friends over the years. And uh, I just want to say another word about Tim. At the end of uh, both of our boys' high school careers, they were getting ready to go off to college. I did a little exercise with them, and I asked them to sit down and to list the names of people in their lives so far that they love and admire, respect, and trust. The people who have influenced them the most in their lives. And when they become adult men in the world themselves, that you would most want to be like. And I said, make the list. And I want to talk to you about the list. I want, I want to hear from you what these people mean to you. That's a good idea, wasn't it? It's a really good idea. Well, our sons and our oldest son, Aaron, in particular, is very grudging with that kind of acknowledgement. I mean, he has very high standards, very high expectations. He, he doesn't suffer foolishness. And so he had a short list. There's only five or six names. And Tim Cleland was on the list. So this is a guy of high character, high integrity. Impressive. And I have his permission to tell this story, by the way. Let me just, let me just say that I have a policy here at Union Chapel that if someone in our community who has a high-profile position, maybe a politician or, or a, a business owner or a local administrator at Ball State or one of the high schools or a, a prominent coach, that sort of, you know, some kind of high status in the community that people know who they are. Uh, my policy is never to acknowledge them in the life of our church, at least from up front. Never point them out, never call them out, never mention them. Uh, and I do that out of respect for them. It's not easy when you're high profile in a community to have the kind of privacy and anonymity that you often need when you're out and about. And particularly that's true in church. You ought to be able to come here and be anonymous and have privacy so that you can worship God the way you need to. And so the policy is we don't talk about them. And that works pretty well for us. In this case, I have asked Tim Cleland's permission to tell this story. Tim was in our first service. He approved the message afterwards, too. So one night at West Hill High School, he was working the, the scoring table, and Beth and I were sitting in the stands, and we were just getting ready to start this purpose-driven small group in our house, and Beth leaned over to me, and she said, I just feel like God's telling us that we should, we should invite Tim Cleland to come to our purpose-driven small group. And I said, oh, we should, should we? Something like that. And I said, are you, are you confident of that? She said, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, at halftime, we, we went down there and caught him and invited him. He said, okay, sure, I'll come, which is great. 
And so he started coming to this small group, and we would talk about the faith and the purpose of life and those kinds of things. And there were other people, individuals in Tim's life uh, who are Christian people who are also planting good seeds into Tim's life about the faith and encouraging him to think about it. And so he was growing in his understanding of the Christian faith, and so we just added to that. And one night, this is about three or four weeks into the small group campaign, nobody showed up. No one called, said they couldn't come. We didn't get any uh, regrets or anything like that. And only one person showed up, and it was Tim. So Tim came in the house just with Beth and me. And, of course, in his, in his nomenclature, in his tennis world, he chuckled. And he said, well, it looks like tonight I get a private lesson. And so, you know, he was, he was jovial about it. And we sat and talked about his life and his faith for a while and decided, well, that's, that's enough of that. And I, and I asked him, Tim... I know that you haven't become a Christian yet, but are you thinking about it? He said, I am. He said, I, I've, I've thought a lot about it. I said, well, that's good. And we got up to leave, and literally we opened the front door of our house, and Tim stepped out on the front step. And he was literally getting ready to say, thank you very much, good, good night, and to walk away. And Beth said to him, Tim, why would you want to wait even another day before saying yes to Jesus in your life. And Tim looked at us and he said, well, he said, I just don't feel like I understand it all. I don't understand it all yet. So I don't, I don't think I'm ready. And Beth said, oh, she said, no, no. She said, understanding it all isn't the first step in becoming a Christian. She said, as it turns out, you'll never understand it all. She said, the first step in becoming a Christian is a step of faith. You take a step realizing that in and of yourself, you don't have what it takes to restore your, your relationship with God. There's no way you can earn that or perform well enough to, to deserve that. So the first step is a, is a step of trust that Jesus will take care of you and forgive your sins. Tim said, oh, and then I popped the question. Tim, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And he said, yes. <laughs> so we, we both grabbed him. <laughs> and I said, pray this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I know I have sinned, and I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And this, this is a wonderful moment of transition, of new birth of inviting Jesus Christ into your life. And Tim's life began to change from that moment. Amazing. We've known him all these years. And when our youngest son Isaac was at the tennis banquet at the end of the season, you know, the banquet that the teams and parents hold, and Tim stood up that night with all these parents and other students and so forth, and he repeated the story that I just told you. Isn't that great? He said, there's Beth Parrish. She helped me become a Christian. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? And I just thought, look at him. You go, boy. You're sharing the gospel with people under your influence. And that's what we should do. Tell someone 
and close the deal. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's called the Great Commission. The moment you became a Christian, you entered the mission. You entered the ministry. You entered the forces of God in the world. And your CO, your commanding officer, has given you and me a direct order. And he said, go and preach. Go and make disciples. So the Great Commission is to preach the gospel and make disciples to the best of our ability, led by the Holy Spirit, to seek to bring people to Jesus, get them up on their feet spiritually, and then go and do it again, and then go and do it again, and again, and again, and again after that. That's our job. And I, I want to just reassure you that this will not hurt your life or confuse your life or weaken your life. This will enliven your life. This will energize your life. This will, this will help your spiritual life come to life. I thought about Disney World <laughs> in this subject. Um, I've heard from other adults that when you, when you only go to Disney World with adults, it's a real drag. This is what I've heard. It's actually a lot more fun with kids, which makes sense. With adults, you typically have nothing but complaints. You know, you get a band of adults go in, they say, how much did it cost to get in here? It was like $1,000? It's crazy. Why are we doing this? You go to a restaurant, complain about the service, complain about the food. Then you get sleepy. You walk out of the restaurant at Disney World. You say, I know there's an adventure land, but is there a nap land where we can go? Then you go into one of those animatronic rides, come out, and one of the women say, that's not realistic at all. <laughs> Then one of the guys said, you know, it was a lot better when Walt was still here. Walt Disney. That didn't work in the first service either. <laughs> apparently, apparently it's just been too much time has passed since Walt Disney was actually alive on the earth. I was alive when Walt Disney was alive, but most of you were not. <laughs> so you have no point of reference. So it wasn't funny to you. I will say that if Walt Disney knew what was going on with the Disney Corporation and the culture today, he'd be turning in his grave. Guarantee you that. The happiest time for a kid when they go to Disney World is when they walk in. The happiest time for a, an adult when they, when they go to Disney World is when they walk out. <laughs> with a child, it's the magic kingdom. This is the happiest place on earth. You know, and when you're in these lines, these snaking lines, you know, for one of the popular rides, they have these little signs that tell you how long you have to wait to get on the ride, you know, like you're approximately one month from getting on this ride. <laughs> it's not helpful. But the kids don't care. They're happy to be there. It's thrilling. And this can be true. Just overlay that, that, that example onto your church life as well. For those of us who have been followers of Jesus for a while, what can happen to us is we get comfortable. We get familiar with everything that is associated with church and church life. And not only do we get comfortable, but sometimes we get jaded by it. And we start complaining about everything. This can happen. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. Lights are too bright. Lights are too dim. It's too hot in this room. It's too cold in this room. Church is too big. Church is too small. This can't be happy. And if that pastor would say anything about abortion 
or the LGBTQ community or about critical race theory. If he goes, goes into any of that, it's so uncomfortable and makes us feel awkward. Or if he gets to the end of the service and he wants to invite people to consider receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he's already preached too long, and now he's taking time at the end that he didn't need to take to do that. And besides, I want to get out so I can go to lunch. This happens. It's, it's fascinating to me how anyone can get so out of sync with heaven. You know, heaven is actually waiting with bated breath for one sinner to repent. The Bible says that all of the angels of heaven rejoice. I mean, this is applause and shouting and victory shouts and all kinds of partying going on when just one sinner repents. Apparently, for heaven, it's a big deal when people say yes to the question, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? Wow. So here's how to change your attitude about these things. If you've got a bad attitude, bring a person who's far from God with you to church. Or bring a person who's brand new to the faith with you to church. Everything becomes different. Let me tell you why. You may have noticed this, but when you bring a friend to church who's not really familiar with the whole church thing, you see everything different because now you're looking at it through their eyes. This may be happening for someone right now. You know, you sneak a peek at them. Are they doing okay? Yeah, there goes the pastor again. He's, he's, I don't know, he's making me nervous. I wonder if my friend's doing okay. Or I wonder if the music was too loud. Or I wonder if they like those songs. And, and you care about that stuff because you care about your friend. And you, and you start praying, please don't let Paris tell that, tell that lame joke again. I don't know why he thinks those things are funny. <laughs> please just let him keep moving. And then you start praying, Lord, have Pastor Greg at the end give an invitation. Yeah, Lord, speak to Pastor Greg to invite people to take their next step in their relationship toward Jesus. That would be so helpful. That would be so good. And then the pastor says, if you don't know Jesus, this is what you need to do. And you go, yes, yes. And you start praying for your friend. And by the end of the service, they've said yes to Jesus because the pastor said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And they say yes. You are happy. You're filled with joy. It matters. So don't think of this whole idea of sharing the gospel as duty or drudgery or, or have to or this is going to ruin my reputation. Think of it as a privilege. Think of it as joy. Think of it as fulfilling. I can tell you the happiest people in, in the world are the ones who go around sharing their faith in one way or another. Indeed. Failure to obey can be hazardous to your spiritual health. It can make you sour. It can make you sad. It can make you uh, judgmental. It can, make, it, can, it can make you joyless. And you don't want that. So interacting with people who don't know Jesus is just great. You show me a church, for example, that is not inviting unbelievers to visit the church, and I'll show you the early, middle, or late signs of stagnation and death. Every church, every Christian has the decision whether to evangelize the people around them or to fossilize and get all stagnant and get all sour. And so you decide. Last thought I want to give 
is to be ready to follow up on the conversation. They may say yes. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? They may say yes. I'm so thankful for a guy named Jim who did this for me. He was a student at Purdue University. I became a Christian when I was 16. He found out about it. We were friends a little ahead of time. And so here he is. He's like four or five years older than me. And I thought, oh, here's a mature follower of Jesus. He's 20. (laughs) Everything was relative. I was 16. So this 20-year-old guy, so he mentored me and he discipled me. And he was part of an organization called the Navigators at Purdue University. And the Navigators had this several-week, Uh, of foundations of the Christian life and I was challenged to memorize scripture and I memorized dozens of scriptures in about three months and it has served me for 50 years I'm so thankful for Jim and his investment in my life he followed me up this happened with the apostle Paul he was the he was uh, the chief persecutors of the church originally named Saul of Tarsus The Apostle Paul is Saul of Tarsus. He's going to Damascus one day, and God knocks him to the ground and blinds him. Calls out from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul was leading this this, uh, campaign to kill Christians. I mean, he was like the chief persecutor of the early church, Saul of Tarsus. And so God speaks to a guy named Ananias, and he says, you know that Saul of Tarsus, that chief persecutor, the guy might lop your head off if if you go to his house? Yeah, I want you to go pray for him. Now, Ananias would have reported probably to the Lord, he's on my prayer list, but not the visitation list. (laughs) He's not a safe guy to go see. But Ananias obeyed the Lord and went to where Saul of Tarsus was and prayed for him and like scales fell off his eyes and he could see and he became a Christian. And then God sent another guy into Saul's life shortly after that named Barnabas. Barnabas' name actually means son of consolation or son of encouragement. And so, and so these guys actually helped form the early faith of the Apostle Paul. I mean, someone's got to do that. Someone's got to show you. If you're, if you're brand new to the faith, you don't know what to do. You don't know how it looks. You don't know how to behave. And so it's so important and so valuable when you come alongside of a new believer like that and just take, kind of take them into your culture. You know, invite them over to your house. Take them out for dinner. Take them to the movie. If you're going to some sporting event, take them with you so that they can lay eyes on a a real in-the-flesh Christian and how they live their life every day. Because folks don't know how. It's so important. This is the great commission. As you lead by example, folks who come to faith in Christ. So go into all the world and preach the gospel, Jesus said, and make disciples. So the gospel needs to be shared. You need to close the deal and be prepared to lead a person in a prayer of salvation. Take this home with you. Cut this top piece off. It's just like the size of a business card. Stick it in your purse or your wallet. You're ready. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? Yes, I would. Repeat this prayer after me. God hears those prayers. The Holy Spirit moves into that moment. Glory to God. It's an amazing miracle. So thankful for it. And then be ready to follow up the conversation. And we have all kinds of resources here at Union Chapel, special classes, special connection points where folks can get grounded in their faith and learn how to do this. We want to help you along the way. We have three weeks until we want to invite lots and lots of new people to hear the gospel, the New Testament, the story of Jesus so that we can win them.
Last question, you know what it is. Do you want to receive Jesus Christ right now? Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this admonition, this commission, this challenge. Lord, this is a, this is a day where there's great opposition. There are lots of threats. There are lots of accusations. There's a lot of doubts. There are a lot of people pushing back on the message of the Christian gospel. Nevertheless, Lord, there is a mandate. There is a great commission to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. Lord, hear our prayer today. We are determined to preach the gospel and win people to Jesus because we believe the lamb must receive the reward of his suffering. He must be lifted high, a savior and Lord and God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God, hear our prayer to be determined to faithfully proclaim this glorious good news to the world. He is our hope. He is our life. He is our salvation. Now, friend, while you're in a state of prayer right now with your heads bowed and your eyes are closed, folks listening to me online right now, simple question. Do you want to receive Jesus Christ right now? Is this your day? Is this your moment to say yes? If you'd say yes to that question this morning, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. I'll be the only one to see you. Raise your hand. Good, sir. Young man, thank you. Good for you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Good, good, good. Every section has somebody raising their hand. If you're at home right now or listening to me in some other location, just raise your hand. I want to receive Jesus Christ right now. Wonderful, wonderful. Now everyone pray this prayer after, after me out loud. All, everyone together in support of those who said yes to this question. Are you ready? Right after me. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I know I have sinned. And I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Amen. Now let's celebrate that. Thank God. Wonderful. Praise God. Yes, sir. Wonderful. All right, stand with us now as we sing.